0: Thanks so much, Ian. Okay, if you've got a Bible, why don't you get those out? We're in, currently in a series in the book of Colossians. Uh, we're now Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. If we've not met yet, uh, my name is Matt. Uh, I lead the team that leads Mosaic, and my privilege to be preaching today. Um, I want to talk to you today about the security that Jesus brings in a world where everything else can feel like it's shifting and moving. Um, The reason it's important to talk about security is that all of us have an inbuilt desire for security. We want to feel stable and secure. And when we do so, it sort of gives us the foundation and freedom to explore life in a a really healthy way. Uh, Psychologists would agree that those things are formed in us uh, in our growing up years. And so we learnt when we were babies, if someone turned up to feed us and to give us milk, then we found some security in the family home. When you were able to go home to a safe and secure environment, then again, that uh, helped grow your sense of security. When we push loved ones away and they are still there for us and they come back to us and help restore relationship, it gives us security. And if we don't get those things growing up, we become what? We become insecure. We become an insecure people, which means that we don't have the confidence we need to risk anything in life or to step out of what's comfortable uh, to explore life. And what's interesting is that... um, whether you got that at home growing up or whether you didn't, most of us need to have those things reestablished as we go into adulthood. We need to find security all over again. And generally speaking, we find our sense of stability and security in other people or our circumstances or our stuff or our various coping mechanisms, the stuff that we do in life just to make life work. So I've hit an age, I celebrate my 50th birthday, just a couple of weeks. I keep saying that to you guys, but 50th birthday, um, I, I, I sort of if I say it enough, it won't be true. Um, but I just hit my 50th birthday, and I had a long conversation with uh, a guy who was talking about my pension, and he asked, yeah, I know, uh, and he asked me a question, he said, what do you want to, re- you know, what income, monthly income, do you want to retire on? Like, how much do you need? And I've just never really gone there in my mind at all. And it suddenly made me think, like, what do I need to be secure? Like, what things do I need to put in place to make sure that's okay? And basically, the answer is whatever number I chose, the guy said, you haven't got enough to live off that amount. (laughs) Two of my kids are now at university and uh, they've sort of taken the plunge of starting a new life in a new city. And the big question for them is, like, will we make friends? Will we find people like us? Will we find people that we can do life with? And so for my kids, they're asking these sort of fundamental questions that will really determine security in life. And I've chatted to a number of you younger couples who are in the process of buying your first home. And there's sort of immense pressure on uh, people at the moment to get established on the property ladder because prices have gone crazy in the last ten years, and you feel like the longer you leave it, the bigger the gap. And a lot of us place a lot of our sort of financial security and our sense of well-being in being able to have somewhere uh, to live and that somewhere that we own. So listen, there are really good things out there that we place our security in. And so just a little bit of interaction at this point, okay, just to keep you awake. I want you to just turn to the person next to you and say, what's the stuff or what are the things or what are the people that you find security in? And listen, for those of you that normally come to church, I know the answer is meant to be Jesus, okay? (laughs) Let's just take that as a given. And so what's the good stuff in life that we look to find our security in? Okay? So just, you've got one minute, just turn to the person next to you, just... What do you find your stability and security in? Okay, everyone, well done. So let's come to this side of the room first. What sort of things do you find your security in? Family, job, anything else? A warm bed at night. Yeah, that's probably higher than we actually realised. Yes, this, this channel of chairs... Close friends? Routine. 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 That's a big one. People like to have things planned. Other people hate to have anything planned. You, don't you love those people? Yeah. Um, yeah, Sarah at the back. Money. Money, money. Having money now, money for the future. Health. Health. Health's a massive one. Anything else? Spouse. No. Uh, what's that? A spouse. Yeah, a spouse. Sorry, you get the dregs, anything left? <laughs> Children, and what's that, Walter? We share the same interest, finding, and that's to probably link with friendship and things like that. Okay, they're all really good things, really good things. But you know that I'm going to tell you that those things become bad things when they become ultimate things when they are the defining things that bring a security in life. Because those things don't last. Those things can be shaken up. Those things can be lost. And if you put too much weight into them, you'll become a person who just lacks confidence in life to do anything because the things you put your trust in can't be uh, relied upon. I mean, just a funny example. So Pip and I, um, my wife and I managed to go on holiday a couple of weeks ago. We went to Cyprus. It was a glorious glorious week in the sun but when we were down by the pool I noticed that there was like um, a bit of the pool area that seemed to be reserved for the beautiful people and uh, there was a lot of people that just sort of were on the sun lounges between sort of the sun lounges and the pool and they all seemed to sort of gather together and whenever they sort of got up and, and walked around there was just like a like a, a proper confidence, and I, so I obviously avoided that area for the holiday. But there was one time, oh, thanks, there was an R there, thanks that. Uh, But at one point, I think I'd gone to get some lunch, and i sort of gone back, and me and Pip were in the loungers a long way from the pool, and I sort of took the wrong turn, and I found myself on the catwalk between the <laughs> pool and the sun lounger. I, I've got to walk this route, so... Yeah... <laughs> So I do the walk. And what's amazing, so I just strutted confidently, pretended like I didn't care what anyone was thinking, hoping I don't jiggle around too much. And So I did the walk quickly like this, and I didn't spot right in the middle. There was like a a bit of the pool cover, just a little bit lifted from the floor. So I trip over it, and I don't fall. And I wish I'd fallen over because I would have got some sympathy. But I did that whole and I was sort of wearing flip-flops so like and so anyone that wasn't looking was now looking and I don't like I'm not someone that cares that much about what all those strangers thought of me but I was so like embarrassed in that moment that instead of just sort of carrying on and sort of walking away, I just couldn't look at anyone and I went back and I spent the next five minutes trying to fix the thing that was broken. And it it was nice of me to do that, but the real reason was, I just felt really full of shame. Now, if I was someone who'd based a lot in my appearance, that would have ruined my whole week. It would have absolutely crushed me. I would have lacked confidence. And it's scary how many people in our culture find their sense of worth and security in how they look. And you can see that because as they get older, they're fighting the ageing process with all sorts of stuff that I don't really understand or comprehend that keeps them looking young. So listen, we need to put our security in the right things. And you might be wondering why we're looking at this today. Well, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Christians in Colossae, he starts off in verse eight saying this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so it's fascinating what we know at the time. We think in this town, um, there was an earthquake around about this time. And so the people there, not only uh, for those that are Christians are struggling with persecution from Rome, not only are they struggling to work out what it means to be distinct and authentic Christians in a world that's full of spirituality, but this earthquake hits and so they are looking for security. And it's fascinating because Paul doesn't just talk about sort of their general sense of security that gives them confidence but he goes for the heart and he's talking about their spiritual security. He's talking about how they relate to God and that question, is there a God and how do I relate to him or her, whoever's there and Am I confident in my relationship with God? Are really, really big questions. And he says to this little church, he says, first up, don't look to human tradition. And so he's thinking there of those that would add certain practices and behaviors and feast days and rules and regulations to be right before God. And he says, "Uh, you can never be good enough. You know, Anne mentioned this in her testimony. You can never be good enough for God. God is pure, we are not. And so he says, don't look to human tradition, nor look for elemental spiritual forces where there were people around in the day that sort of were wanting to pursue this secret, special knowledge that was all very spiritual and dressed up as, as like really interesting and fascinating and, and a little bit secretive as well. And it's only if you were sort of in the know, if only if you knew that stuff, then you were all right before God. And he says, don't look to those. So in verse 9, where does he want to direct them? For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So there's something in Jesus that brings us a spiritual security. And so he unpacks what that is over the next couple of verses. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time in. And he's going to give you four victories. Four victories that Jesus wins on the cross over our rebellious self, our dead heart, our debt of sin, and the devil himself. So you ready for these four things? Yep. So number one, rebellious self, verse 11. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ Now, I totally get that that language and that idea is is probably very foreign to us. But the Apostle Paul is comparing the saving work of Christ, of God in us, with the practice of circumcision. Which in the Old Testament was a, a physical sign of belonging to God. A physical sign of being the people of God. And instead of skin being cut away... What's being cut away is the whole self that is ruled by the flesh, which is one way of describing us and our old, unbelieving, selfish self that each one of us has on the inside. So whoever nice and kind and beautiful you are on the outside, all of us, all of us, compared to God, are far from perfect. And so all of us have, if you like... A rebellious self. I'll tell you, you're impressed with the, uh, with the props today, aren't you? So we have this rebellious self that's part of us. And however good we look on the outside, this is part of us. And however much we try and remove it ourselves by being good or trying to be perfect, we cannot. Because we, it's just in our DNA. And so what we need is for God to come along. To circumcise our spirits. And so there's something that can can happen. Look at that look on his face. That's quite evil. So we can't get rid of ourselves, but God, who is this perfect spiritual doctor can come along and help us out. That'll do. That'll do. Round of applause. Great job. Did that quite hard, didn't he? So this sense that oil and water don't mix, our sinful self and a holy God can't mix. And so how do we get close to God? Well, it is the Father, our Heavenly Father, who surgically removes our sin. How does he do that? Well, it happens when Christ is cut off at the cross to make us belong to him. And he'll go on to explain that the new way the people of God show that they belong to God is not through circumcision, but it's through baptism. Baptism is the new sign in the New Testament of what it is to belong to God and to be part of the people of God. So the first victory is over the rebellious self. Number two. The second victory is over our dead heart. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So these verses will just wash over you if you do not realize how incapable we are of instigating a relationship with God. Like We are helpless without God. The word is that we are dead to God. So, just if you imagine, this is my coffin, and I'm in my coffin, and the lid's on, and there's a slight rumble in the coffin. Let me move over a bit. So, I'm dead in the coffin. So, this is me, spiritually speaking. I've got a dead heart. Even if God comes close, there's nothing I can do. I'm dead. I'm absolutely dead, spiritually speaking. The only way that I can believe in God, the only way I can respond to God, is if I undergo a spiritual resurrection. Take time. Yay, well done. Great job again. He's working hard today. (laughs) That was a very small ripple of applause. (laughs) We're not impressed. So we need a resurrection. And because we believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave, when we put our faith in him, what happens to Jesus sort of happens to us spiritually. We're dead to God, but suddenly made alive because there's a spiritual resurrection. We're saved because God speaks this life-giving word to our dead souls that resurrects our hearts and makes us open to God. It's so important to know that because there's lots of our friends and families, maybe some people here today that aren't Christians but are quite open to God and want to sort of pursue Him and want to be close to God. But actually, they know they're far from Him. They, they feel distant. They feel disconnected. And the reason is they're dead in their souls. And they need God to open their blind eyes like we all, by the grace of God, experienced at some point. So the second victory is over our dead hearts. We've done rebellious self We've done dead heart. Number three, our debt of sin. Having cancelled, verse 14, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So another enemy that's defeated is the certificate of death that is filed against us in the courtroom of heaven. In other words, because of our sin and our selfishness and our rebellion, the hurt that we do to ourselves and others... The law of God, which demands perfection, comes against us. It's a deadly witness against us, and we are in debt. We have got a debt to pay, a ransom to pay. And however rich you are, whether you're Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg, or, you know, you think the richest people in the world, their checkbooks are not big enough to be able to pay the debt of sin. So verse 14 says that Christ cancelled the whole debt by paying for it himself. Verse 14, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So this great enemy that all of us face of sin and guilt and debt, Christ defeats by paying the ransom by his body broken. Amen? Amen, that's good news. And number four, and lastly, Paul wants to talk about the victory over the devil. See, the last enemy defeated was the host of evil spiritual beings. You know, as Christians, we believe in a devil. Verse 15 tells us, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. So we believe in a devil, but we actually believe in a defeated devil. What this verse tells us, that in Christ's weakest moment, he disarmed the most powerful forces of evil the world has ever known. And he not only disarmed them, but he triumphs over them. And not only does he triumph over them, but he humiliates them. You know, I just think the reality is very few of us understand or Uh, grasp just the power the spiritual power that lies beneath the surface unseen so the rules and authorities of darkness that prowl and tempt and deceive and corrupt us the sin that's crouching at our doors is just one small part of this global mutiny against God And so I just wonder, if you're a Christian in the room, like, are you aware that there are spiritual forces out there that are designed to undermine your faith in Jesus? Like, in the the busyness of everything that we do, there is a war that is being fought. But wonderfully, as Christians, we believe that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world that when we wrestle in the power of Christ and his shed blood, that those spiritual forces, though they create so much chaos, are actually defeated because the blow that was struck at the cross was a lethal blow. So we must fight, but we fight with confidence. We fight knowing that Jesus has won the victory for us. The battle belongs to the Lord. Satan cannot destroy us. So let's put this together. Paul is reminding the church that there is victory that brings a spiritual security to us over our rebellious self, over our dead heart, over our debt of sin, and over the devil and his forces. And he says, basically, don't add anything else to that. Like, If you want to seek your security in your relationships, or in your stuff, or in your behaviour, or in your kids, or in your routines... Like it's worth us this morning, right now, comparing the security of those things and the spiritual security they bring compared to the victories that Jesus wins on the cross. It's worth like doing the maths. It's worth actually looking at like, how deluded we are. D- does anyone in the room know what a flying buttress is? Yes. Yeah. Look at the f- educated front row. I've got a picture on the screen. We've got some flying buttresses. This is Notre Dame in Paris. And flying buttresses are the big supports that are outside of a building. And they support the huge cavernous space on the inside because they take the weight of the structure. They sort of force it down into the ground. And they're very beautiful in and of themselves. The things that I've just told you about, the four victories that give us spiritual security, they are like flying buttresses in our spiritual lives. You can imagine just how ludicrous it would be for the builders of this cathedral to sort of stand against the wall, propping it up, trying to bring stability themselves compared to these incredible structures that keep it standing. Well, The victories that I've told you about today are those things. So listen, as I finish. It's not enough to know this stuff to be someone who's spiritually secure it's not enough just to know the victories so listen if you're distant from God if you're spiritually struggling right now if there's a sense of which you feel sort of dead inside if you feel like your spiritual confidence and security is quite low you have to take these truths and bring them into your relationship with God. More than just knowing them, but you need to wrestle with them. You need to pray them back to God. You need to expose the lies of perhaps where you put um, your hope into like, things that aren't very secure. You need to believe the truth. You need to fight. You need to declare them over yourselves. So for me, when I go for my morning walk where I get time with Jesus... I will often just spend a bit of time just bringing my mind to the truth that I believe in the word and comparing it to how I actually feel. And so I'll get up and I'll feel distant from God or I feel like my prayers don't seem to be changing anything or I'll feel hopeless about certain situations or whatever it is that emotionally is kicking off on the inside and I will wrestle with those feelings I will bring them to God I will acknowledge them but I don't want to stay in that place Uh, after acknowledging them expressing to God I then go to the truth and say God I feel far from you right now but I believe I believe totally that the selfish bit of me has been dealt with by you on the cross. And that means I can walk confidently into the presence of God. And whether I feel it or not, I believe that that's what's happened. That's what happened at the cross. And I claim that victory right now. As I'm talking to you, I'm going to pray for confidence, spiritually speaking, because my heart feels a long way away from you. But can you sit on it? I'm wrestling with the truth, I'm exposing the lies. And I just think, generally speaking, we don't do enough of that. We sort of think knowing about it is enough. And we're not actually pulling those truths deep into our hearts and doing the work that's required to turn us from believing lies to b- believing truth or from fear into faith. And some of you right now are under attack spiritually um, because you've perhaps just not really thought of it in those terms because it's all very unseen you're actually unable to fight you're sort of praying about that circumstances would change but you're not able to claim the victory that Jesus won over Satan and his forces that he's a defeated enemy so again just in those moments like if you're just aware that life seems unreasonably difficult at the moment then perhaps an element of your prayer life would be to claim this victory today. To say, Jesus, you defeated the enemy at the cross. He's defeated and you're in me. And you being in me means that I I can live a victorious life. I can conquer stuff that the enemy wants to defeat me. Amen? So I hope I'm not teaching grandma to suck eggs. But I'm, I'm just sort of aware that I think probably the missing piece in our week is the wrestle yeah yeah everyone can you see that we know this we struggle with how we're really doing and we can't just jump from one to the other there is a wrestling prayer that happens and I want to call you to that and Paul is saying to this little church the way you can be secure spiritually speaking is knowing these four victories and we need to know them too amen amen